Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021. I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. I've got a little bit of news to get through first on the day before we head into what I'm really excited about. Today I'm talking with the excellent Kyle Taylor Parker, whose latest album, Broadway Soul Volume 2, is out now from Broadway Records. We talked on Monday afternoon about this just absolutely gorgeous album that's so full of love and it left me feeling good all day. If you haven't listened to it yet, you're missing out. Stay tuned in the episode for that. First, I have to send you over to our Patreon to get in on all the goods early, including some upcoming roundtables and special episodes we have. That is, as it always was, on patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash patreon. Let's run through today's news really quick. We had a big story coming from the Great White Way of the much-anticipated renovation of the Court Theater. This has been in the works for a while, and we've talked about it a few times on the show in anticipation. Last when Tracy lets the minutes loaded out in November to prepare the way. Now it's official. The Schubert Organization will renovate and expand the Court Theater, refurbishing the original structure and adding a 35-foot-wide expansion on the building's west side. The plans, which were approved by the New York City Landmarks Preservation Commission in 2017, will reportedly include a new modern structure that will feature a grand staircase, elevator, additional accessible bathrooms, thank goodness because the lines at the court were maybe the worst, concession areas, a lounge, dressing rooms, and rehearsal space. Additionally, the alterations will include a refurbished facade, expanded wing space, modernized rigging, and new seating to enhance comfort and accessibility, though the theater's capacity will remain unchanged. Also, the original proscenium arch will be restored, which is very exciting. The project is scheduled to be completed in 2022. In streaming news, the online show The Jesse Walker Show will reunite cast and creative team members of the 2014 Broadway musical The Bridges of Madison County. Scheduled to be part of the March 15th event are Kelly O'Hara, Stephen Pasquale, Hunter Foster, Caitlin Cunanan, and Derek Kleina, plus composer-lyricist Jason Robert Brown, librettist Marsha Norman, and director Bart Scher. The two-hour panel, which begins at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, will raise funds for the Actors Fund. The stream will be available on YouTube and Facebook. And also on the screen, maybe some of the best casting I've heard in a long, long time. It was announced on Monday that Town star Reeve Carney will portray singer-songwriter Jeff Buckley in the upcoming biopic, Everybody Here Wants You. It'll be written by Dion Jones and directed by Orion Williams. And the film will explore the late Buckley's life and career. I mean, the resemblance, the voice, everything. Just exceptional casting for this. Production is scheduled to begin in fall 2021. 
I have one feel-good recommendation I want to get to because from one reunion to another, we've talked a few times about the New York Theater Workshop's Rent Gala that's coming up later today, March 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And in preparation for that, the great Jennifer Ashley Tepper has got a special feature over at Playbill that includes Jonathan Larson's own notes throughout the evolution of Rent, including rejection letters, handwritten lyrics, notes and ideas, and so much more. More. These are documents that are housed at the Library of Congress Music Division that Tepper went through for the Jonathan Larson project. She and I actually talked about it pretty in depth uh, when the project was being produced. We talked about it for a piece for American Theater and just the sheer amount of stuff that is there and how detailed it is and just how organized Larson was. It's really cool to see this stuff on Playbill. So be sure to check that out. And you can still get tickets to the gala if you haven't already at NYT w.org. The link to that and everything I've mentioned today will, as always, be in today's show notes. All right, that is all I have for you for the news and recommendations part of today's show. My real feel-good recommendation is coming up, and that is my interview with Kyle Taylor Parker. Before that, though, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on all the social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And don't forget to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash patreon. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at knowthisisashley. Have a a great Tuesday, everybody, and here is my interview with KTP. I am so glad to talk to you about Broadway Soul Volume 2. Um, I love this album so much. I keep gushing about this album. It's just beautiful. So thank you so much for joining me today to talk about it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I I want to get right into talking about it. You released Volume 1 in 2019, which I know you talked to Matt about for Tell Me More. I know you wanted to do a second album pretty much right away, like you knew you wanted to do a Volume 2 when you made Volume 1. You made this during quarantine, funded it through Kickstarter, and then recorded it completely remotely which is just bananas to me. So if you could talk to me about that and kind of those early days of of quarantine when you switched to, yeah, okay, I'm going to make that album now. (laughs) Yeah. So at the beginning of quarantine, I thought, absolutely not. We can't make music, but maybe soon. Well, the Broadway shutdown got longer and longer. And I started thinking, you know, and out of that, we were seeing a lot of creativity. Sure. I wasn't the first person to record in pandemic, but I I started seeing people record things in pandemic and I started realizing, oh, it might be possible. And one thing I know for a fact is that people are really going to need theater this time next year. Um, So how can we create this album and make it something that is like a Valentine to the theater? Mm, Oh, I love that. And that was, that's, that was the beginning of it really. Um, And I got on the phone with Sonny Palladino. Mm -hmm. Um, My first album, I didn't work with the producer. Um, I didn't really know much about making records my first time. I just kind of learned on the fly And the year between the first album and the second album, I had done a lot of reading about making a record. So I knew I wanted to work with a producer. And I also knew that recording remotely, I would have to work with a producer. So Sonny Palladino and Rich Mercurio really put the magic together. They're brilliant. What microphones we used, how we would all record from our own homes, 
what our language would be for making this album remotely. We arranged it remotely, even, you know. So okay, that's yeah. six months of work. Yeah, I was going to ask that because the orchestrations are beautiful. And just as importantly, the mixing and mastering is credible. I had actually no idea this was done remotely because I listened to it. And I was like, this is great. Then I read the notes for it in your Kickstarter post. And I was just in shock. <laughs> like, like this was all <laughs> done remotely. Are you kidding me? It sounds like it was done in studio. So that's incredible. Was there any conversation at all about doing this in person? But you said it was arranged remotely. So I'm assuming, no, it was always, uh, we're going to do this remotely situation. Yep, it was always, we're going to do it remotely. I mean, we started recording pretty much in the height of the pandemic. So in person yeah. really wasn't an option. Sure. Um, our guitarist actually, during the uh, recording process, got COVID. Um, and he oh, recovered no. very quickly. But just oh, to let you know, you know, COVID was a real concern while we yeah. were working on all of this. Yeah. And so we had to record from home. Um, and all the duets, none of them were done in the same time or space. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you, in your Kickstarter post, you said you were mailing micro, you were going to be mailing microphones to your other vocal collaborators. Is that what ended up happening then? And then you were kind of recording, working on things, having Zoom meetings. Well, luckily, a lot of the, um, a lot of the singers and band, mem band members already had their own microphones. So it turned, that turned out to be a little, it was lucky because that would have been way too complicated. Sure. So I had my microphone and everyone else had their own. Yeah. And, you know, we would do a Zoom session with the singer or artist before they started recording their stuff. Then they would have the day to just go for it. Um, either maybe like three days later, I would get what they recorded and then I would lay my stuff down based on what they recorded. Yeah, that makes sense because your collaborators, I mean, incredible. You have Shoshana Bean, Jackie Cox, Blaine Alden Krause, Natalie Joy Johnson, and then your street chorus members, Arnold Harper II, Josh Greenblatt, David Rowan. I, that just that list alone. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we got really lucky um, to work with some first class musicians. I think that that is one thing. If it had not been for the pandemic, I don't know if I would have gotten everyone together in the same time. I, I guess the one benefit. You know, I like that. I, it seems like this, it seemed like it had to be so collaborative because of all the logistics and the spinning plates. I know you weren't all hanging out in a studio or anything, but there's a bit of that defiance and collaboration <laughs> during a time when we just weren't supposed to be doing anything. Fully. Yeah, I was joking around. Well, I've said a lot that this was a big act of connection and collaboration yeah. against all odds. Yeah, for sure. How were how are you recording at home? Do you have a booth or anything that you're doing? Like what were the logistics for your side of the recording? Uh, I have a makeshift recording studio in my office closet. <laughs> um, I, oh, recording a queer yeah. love story in a closet come on kyle i know i said i only <laughs> climb back into the closet to record this album i mean it's very poetic <laughs> i guess <laughs> yep um yeah i had i got two audio uh blankets to put over the closet doors the closet doors swing open i would be in the middle of the closet but my computer would be on the opposite side so I would have to hit record and count down to three and scurry 
into the closet, close the doors, catch my breath, and then begin to sing. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. So it was definitely a process. <laughs> That's, you know, saying that between your first and your second album that you were, like, learning how to, you know, you know all the steps that you needed to do to make an album, including bringing a producer in and really getting acquainted with it. I feel like this probably wasn't the steps you were learning about <laughs> pre-pandemic. Definitely not. Definitely not. You made it work. But uh, YouTube tutorials <laughs> have helped a lot. And, you know, Rich and Sonny just held my hand through everything. I mean, I, we all had to engineer our own voice sessions and um, comp together our final, you know, decisions to give to Sonny to mix and master all yeah. together, which is more than most singers would do. If you just go to the studio, there's an engineer for that. So I now I just have so much respect for the process. I hate having to interrupt my interview with Kyle, but the one thing I will make an exception for is our sponsor, Audible. If you've been listening to the show, you know I love Audible. We all love Audible here. If you haven't been listening, first of all, make better choices. But second, let me fill you in on all the important stuff. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment, including the largest selection of audiobooks of every genre, binge-worthy podcasts, meditation and fitness tracks, music, and of course, theater. As an Audible member, you will get one credit every month, which you can trade in for any title in their catalog. The only thing exempt from that is anything in Audible's new Plus catalog, because that stuff just comes to you for free as a member, nothing down. That includes those aforementioned podcasts, albums, fitness tracks, and more. For everything, you can download titles and listen offline, anytime, anywhere. You can use your credits right away or keep them for up to a year, and if you decide on something, you're just not into it, you can simply swap it for something else. Now, I mentioned theater, and Audible has really been stepping up its theater game. You can find everything from Seawall, A Life with Jake Gyllenhaal and Tom Sturridge, Latin History for Morons with John Leguizamo, Girls and Boys with Carrie Mulligan, and so much more. That includes its new spring catalog, which later this month has the audio version of The Sound Inside that was just on Broadway. The Tony-nominated The Sound Inside, if we ever get those, that will be released on March 18th, and you can't can't miss that. So to start your 30-day free trial, visit audible.com slash Broadway Radio or text Broadway Radio to 500-500. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash Broadway Radio or text Broadway Radio to 500-500 to start your 30-day free trial. I want to talk about choosing the material and the music. As I said, this is a queer love story. It really felt like a queer wonderland. The first time I listened to this, I was laying in bed and I felt like I was on like, like a tunnel boat into this queer version of Folly's Loveland, especially when we hit Love for Sale. Like that's the feeling I had for it. Oh my goodness. That just makes me so happy. That, <laughs> that's the vision. That yeah. was the idea. Yeah. Um, I never felt. I feel like as, as a queer artist, as a queer person, uh, we're always trying to find ourselves in love stories through the lens yes. of straight characters. And so I wanted to create something that was really, I guess, for my 14-year-old self or for people like me mm, um, yeah. to listen to and feel that love is indeed inclusive. And I mean, down to uh, some enchanted evening, we've changed the, the lyrics 
from once you have found her to, you know, once you have found them and because that's the idea that love is inclusive and it's huge and it's sweeping. And I, that, I wanted that feeling to come through in this album, especially in a year where connection is so hard to come by. Yeah, definitely. And not only that it's, you know, sweeping and inclusive, but I, I feel like the gray areas of love come across really well on this. Like it's not all just, you know, the grandness of it. Like you're also, you're getting the heartbreak of it as well. And, you know, the closure and as well as those highs. Thank you. Yeah. And putting the, the original idea before we decided to really come up with the plot for it, I, I was focusing a lot on story as an artist and how you can really tell a story with an album. And I knew that with Broadway Soul Volume 2, I wanted to tell a love story that you can, the listener Mm. would be able to hear the beginning and the end. I was going to ask, I was going to ask because it felt like a complete story and I didn't know when that story came into your head. I love it. Yeah. Well, so the very early part of it was that. And then once we decided to make the packaging um, feel the packaging of the CD and the vinyl to feel like a cast recording, Mm -hmm. um, complete with a plot and synopsis, uh, it got more in depth (laughs) where I was like, oh, we need an actual (laughs) story here with characters. And I thought, oh, I'll just write a little thing. And I was talking to my friend Elizabeth Frankel, who is a great playwright. I said, we helped me you know, sketch out a story. She goes, well, what story's in your mind? And something just began to flow and flow and flow about this post-pandemic world where, you know, touch is outlawed. And yet we find a way to touch and connect and fall in love. And then the story was born. The real story of Broadway Soul Volume 2. I want to talk about, you know, just generally falling in love with music. This is obviously theater and soul. Um, When did you, you know, start to fall in love with the theater? Where did your love for soul kick in? What were some of those early memories for you? Yeah, um, I fell in love with the theater. My parents went through this awful divorce when I was a kid. Mm. And I turned inward. I became a very shy person. I think to a certain effect, I still am shy. Um, but my mom got me into theater camp just for something to do so I can still be a kid while she was going through all of that. Sure. And we quickly discovered that that was the only place I wasn't shy. I would come to life oh. in theater camp. <laughs> and so that. she kept me in it as a kid. And it was kind of like the thing that I needed to be myself. Yeah. Um, I was the same way. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't theater camp, but I was in every band and chorus imaginable. And so that was that's mm-hmm. very much the same with me. Yeah. And so I guess as far as doing it professionally, it just was, it's the, you know, the thing people say, because I had to, it chose me. I can't imagine my life not doing that. Um, and then as far as music, I grew up with music everywhere. You know, my music is in my family. My grandfather was a musician. Uh, my dad loved music. I my earliest memories are like of the radio and oldies yeah. playing on the radio. My yeah, dad's so. singing with them. So like, 
you know, and it was always soul R&B, you know, Gladys Knight, um, Aretha Franklin. Mm. That was just the sound always playing in my life. And then I, as an adult, now I wondered, you know, can that be theater too? And that's always been the mission of Broadway. Yes. Like exploring yeah. theater in different packages. I love that. I found... I, I, I want to get back to like early music, but especially going off of that, I found the whole album just really honest in every way. I think, and it's true of volume one too, but especially volume two, because the storytelling is so strong and it feels like it could be a cast album of a show. We've had so many conversations over the past year of what Broadway stages and sounds should look like versus what they do in terms of casting, producing, writing, orchestrating. And what Broadway sounds like doesn't have as much of a definition as it used to, thank God, and the lines are blurred. So you have this album, which is theater and soul and black and queer and everything merged and saying, this is Broadway too. The rest of you just need to be as curious and creative as I'm being. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's what I wanted to say. Exactly what I wanted to say. I think when I look at the first project and the second project, the first project says Mm -hmm. it from the place of identity. I was really frustrated because um, I was auditioning and I was getting to that really interesting place where you can't help but infuse yourself in the things you're doing. And it wasn't always be, it was being recognized, but no one knew what to do with it. You know, no one knew what to call it. And so I wanted to create a, a platform and a project that says, Hey, this is theater too. So all the Absolutely. songs that are on the first album are around my identity and around how I view myself, how mm-hmm. I feel the world views me. And hoping that someone else out there, the listener, might be, might grab onto and say, oh, me too. Yeah. This album, I'm sitting in my meanness and I'm now using the skills that I have as a storyteller and, and really pushing further to say, and now I'll, I tell stories. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. And like I said, it, feeling like a cast recording of some kind, you know, it, it fits right into everything where, you know, people are trying to get you to fit into somewhere. It's like, no, I'm not going to fit into whatever you've created. I'm going to make my own space and you can either accept it that this is Broadway, this is theater because it is, or, you know, you're going to, like I said, you're going to have to be more creative and curious. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to talk about music and self a little bit more, especially when it comes to queerness, because like I said, it was such an important part of my adolescence and coming to terms with myself and finding my people. Obviously, if that's getting too personal, just tell me no. But were you connecting with, you know, theater and soul in terms of queerness? Was that music bringing you feeling closer to yourself? I think that theater first brought me closer to myself Mm. as a kid, um, because, you know, that's the band of everyone's everyone's okay here you know yeah. we, we are accepting <laughs> yeah the and island that, of misfit toys yeah and no matter where i went i moved around a lot as a kid and the first thing my mother would do is try to find some kind of theater to get me involved in and it was kind of like theater was always the bat signal for me like mm. no matter where i would move i would find that and i'd be okay in that place um and then as an adult once i really started digging into music as a musician and not as a theater maker, just separately as a Mm -hmm. musician. I started really learning how expressive, you know, the gift, the highest gift of expression is in song, I feel. Yeah. Um, Because your voice is so connected to spirit. 
And so, and you can really communicate with that. And so once I really started digging into that as a singer, um, it, that then that connected to my queerness and my heartache okay. and my longing and my love. Anything that I am is connected to my singing. Um, but that came later with adulthood. Sure, sure. You've got this album of love songs from theater, mostly from theater. Um, now just reexamining inclusively and through queerness. Were were these songs that you were listening to early in your adolescence as well, too? Um, not necessarily. Okay. I'm trying to quickly think through the set list. Um, new music is something I did ragtime as a kid, and I yeah. always love that song. It's big and sweeping. And I knew when I wrapped the first album, I knew that I wanted to do new music. I knew I mm. wanted to do what I did for love. And I knew their positions on the album. Yeah. Um, it was just clear to me. Uh, but no, they're kind of things I found throughout life. And sure. the funny thing is most of the time, it's very rare. This, oh, that's a lie. What would I do if I could feel? I grew up singing. I, that is oh, one of my favorite songs. Oh, God, yeah. So good. And that connects to a lot. It connects to my blackness. It connects to my queerness. Yeah. It connects to this kind of, you know, the angst that I have toward the idea of masculinity sometimes, especially how that exists in a black male. And so I was singing that song on the album as a real question, like what if all of that was lifted off of me and I could just be my authentic self without any label or idea or preconceived notion, you know, mm -hmm. what would I do if I could feel? Nice. Nice. So, yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I feel all that. I feel all that. This is such a complete story, but is there anything that didn't end up on the album that you were considering or wish you could have done or, you know, stuff that you're saving for later? Um, there's one song that didn't make it on the album. Mm. And I feel badly because I really thought it was going to be on the album. And in context, uh, I said, this will be on the album. Oh. But we were really leaning into genre and it didn't fit into the genre. It was a bit too jazzy, but it was a really gorgeous rendition of If I Loved You. Oh, wow. And it, okay, um, yeah. <laughs> and I think I'll record it someday. I, I love it, and I sing it in concert often. I love that song. Something that was important to me on this album, which I think we've been talking about here, is vulnerability. Sure. Um, I, in my acting career, I've been hired to do a lot of um, you know, big singing or big character roles, and mm -hmm. so I really wanted to create it, and I love it. But I wanted to create a space to also really show the human and really show the vulnerability. And that's what If I Loved You was also going to do. So sure. Yeah, good, good. You knew you wanted to do a volume two after volume one. So are you thinking about a volume three yet? I, it's hard to think about. Yeah. I'm so um, surprised and pleased with volume two that right now I don't, I don't have the same feeling I had after volume one. That's not very possible, fair. Yeah. But. I'm ready to sit back for a little bit. Uh, hopefully in a studio this time as well and not in your in your closet. Not in my closet. <laughs> not in no. your closet. Hopefully Probably all... Probably volume three out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's the subtitle. You got it. Uh, Kyle Taylor Parker's Broadway Soul Volume 2 is out now digitally and on physical CD from Broadway Records. You can also pre-order the limited hand-numbered and signed vinyls, which will be out in mid-May. I have to have one. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much for this beautiful album and for talking with me today. Oh, thank you. I love this conversation. Thank me you so much. Too. And thank you for listening. Gift was ours to borrow 
What I did for love What I did for 